The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is One on One with Mitch LaFond, the podcast where the rockers talk, part of the Talking Metal Digital Podcasting Network. Now, here's your host, Mitch LaFond. Welcome to One on One with Mitch LaFond. Join me on this episode. It is guitarist Michael Schenker. We talk about his new Michael Schenker Fest Live in Tokyo DVD and CD, and we talk about his brush with Aerosmith, some auditions back in 1979, and the guys from Rush said, hey, why don't you come and play with us? So we talk about all of that and a lot, a lot more. Before checking out Michael Schenker, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And now, here is the one, the only, guitarist extraordinaire, Michael Schenker. We are speaking with guitarist Michael Schenker. The new album DVD is called Michael Schenker Fest Live in Tokyo. Uh, Michael, always a great pleasure to, uh, to talk with you. Thank you. So, let's talk about this this. Michael Schenker Fest. I mean, it, you, you've done it in different locations over the years, but um, tell me about this one in Tokyo, getting it together and getting the three vocalists, of course, Gary Barton, Graham Bonin, and Robin McCauley all uh, participating. Yeah, basically a couple of years ago, we had a, a, our promoter in Japan had, a, had the idea to have Graham Bonin supporting MSG on a Jap- Japanese tour and uh, to sing a couple of songs with us, and that's what we did. And that's when it occurred to me that I have been playing my most popular Michael Schenker uh, music uh, past to, uh, over the past years um, with, with other singers and not original singers. And, and I felt like, wow, this, this is, feels like this is the time to do this, you know. Uh, if I get, you know, and get Robin and, and Gary and Graham together on one stage and do it in one night, it would maybe be something different and very interesting. And so we, and then I thought of uh, who, who the, the musicianship could be, and then um, sort of Steve Mann, who's connected to Robin McCauley and myself, and then I, I uh, thought if we get Pat McKenna and 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 Chris Glenn, who is the original assaulted capitalism section with Graham Bonnet, and then also the original um, rhythm section after Cozy Powell behind Gary Barton, and uh, it couldn't have been a better a better uh, choice, you know, and so basically. Um, we, 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 you know, this, I decided that that is what I want to do. And so we started to set the word and uh, we started getting offers in. Uh, the first thing that was going to happen was uh, a Sweden walk. And, uh, you know, so we had to, I, I have to drive up to, to Scots, uh, to Glasgow. And, um, I don't mind doing that. Uh, it's like 500 miles up there. I used to, we used to rehearse in Brighton, but, uh, the rehearsal studio is not there anymore. And, and, uh, Ted, um, Ted McKenna and, and, uh, Chris, they also live in Glasgow. So I just kind of, uh, focus as number one spot, uh, as the number one, uh, point is to get the rhythm section tight, you know, with me. And, uh, so we do it as a free piece and we get Steve. From Hanover, you know, coming over, and he's always well prepared. A great guy, and uh, he does an excellent job. And then, you know, we get uh, the singers; they they sing the same thing anyway. They all they have to do is make sure they remember the words. Then we get together, do full rehearsal, and uh, off we go. 
And so it's, you know, started off slow, but of course, you know, the, get the momentum. Um, and uh, step by step, you know, we, we, we started to kind of, I mean, it was like right from the beginning of the first rehearsal, full rehearsal we did, two full rehearsals before swing walk. And uh, I mean, it was a chemistry's accident, by the way. And uh, so when we just, you know, all of that kind of stuff, we did some other stuff uh, here and there, and then it's, we were spreading around. And then I got a call from Japan to do a headline in Mount Park uh, in Japan, uh, a festival. And uh, I asked who else was uh, playing. And they said that the Scorpions were headlining the first, the first, Day and I want we want you to MSG headline the second day and uh, I I declined because I I don't really want to the Scorpions are always up to some tricks and some weird stuff so I said I don't, I'm not interested in that and uh, but my other promoter found out that we are doing the Mike Schenker Fest and so they immediately um, offered you know gave us a a, a tour for Japan and uh, including this Tokyo beautiful venue that sold out in no time and and I've decided I'm going to you know um, record this I'm going to you know make sure that this is going to be captured and uh, so I pre-financed it and, uh, and I hired all the the, the, the people that, that I needed uh, crew for camera crew and then you know a cameraman for for um, behind the scenes stuff and photographers and stuff like that and so it, it turned, and I was, I'm so happy I did it because it, it was just, it was just an incredible tour anyway in Sapporo and Osaka. We started off in Osaka, but, you know, Tokyo, that, that venue and, and the people, you know, being them, being so happy right from the beginning and all the way to the, to, to the end. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, um, it just feels good, you know, to, play everything and then especially with original singers and so you know i i have come uh you know like like it's good that most things in my life you know always seem to especially if i look back now look like they exactly needed to happen the way they happen it all makes sense i can see all the puzzles all the bits and pieces that that you know that lead to this point and it's almost to me like not a mystery why what happened happened and so i always divide my 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 life in three stages like the first stage when i created in the 70s uh, what people used in the 80s would have called me up in the beginning of the 80s said like michael they're all playing your guitar style and i was like what and you know i had no idea what i did i, I was just having fun and I said to Kirk Hammett, you know, I did this unconsciously. He said, hey, come on. <laughs> but I didn't do anything on purpose. I just was being myself, you know. It's, I guess the, 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 one, the one magic thing maybe about it is that uh, I, I focus. Well, my focus is actually um, the, the art of lead guitar and pure self-expression. And that, you know, has a big impact on people because it comes from the infinite uh, spring from from within, and it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sharing with the world that you know if you open up yourself, you let the people into something that can only be be uh, uh, experienced if, if if the person opens up. But if people, you know, just stick with trends that are already there and 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 just kind of keep using the trend and the same old stuff and it becomes stagnant, you know. 
then at some point it becomes, you know, nobody wants it anymore. But uh, the middle years, I, I opened the doors for the Scorpions for Love Drive in America, and then, you know, I did The Strangers in the Night. On repeat for the UFO, I had enough uh, taste. I'm grateful for being able to taste what it what it feels like up there on the top. And uh, and so I was able to make a, a, a very good and uh, fair decision on, um, you know, what was important to me for the future. And I decided I didn't want to be part of that that place that up there with, you know, the rat race or the competition between the top bands and stuff. I just wanted, I created, I, I, my assignment was the 70s. Uh, other musicians used it and commercialized it in the 80s. And, and I had time now to focus on my own experimenting with music and and, uh, and learning about life. And then in two, 2008, for, for some reason, I, I mean, I used to be stage fright throughout my whole career, but in 2008, out of nowhere, I had this pull, I need to be on stage, and I wanted to be on stage, and and, and I had fun on stage since then, you know, I, it's it's just like, I guess because of the middle years, I, I understood what I did in the first part of my life, and I, unconsciously, but I can now consciously enjoy it and take it to the next level and celebrate it, and, and you know, and and. and and up at this point in time, we're all three original singers. We're getting offers. Even we have somebody in America who's investigating, and he's saying it looks very, very good. There is a lot of interest there, and if we can wait until next year, February, he can get us a real good big tour together for the Michael Schenker Fest, which is amazing because it costs so much more money. It's such a big, much bigger undertaking than what I've done in the past, and. Uh, so we have offers for UK and we have offers for Spain already. We're focusing on, on France and on um, the um, uh, Germany and the countries around. And uh, yeah, and, and, and the DVD worked out excellent. I mean, I'm very happy with it. And uh, it, it, it's being played around the clock in Tokyo, apparently. It's in Shinko, uh, Square on a big screen uh, for 25 minutes per day for a whole month. And I mean, this is picking up everywhere, you know? It's just incredible. Yeah, and, and I have it. It looks great. Now, now you mentioned that you were touring recently with another singer, which, of course, is Doogie White with Temple of Rock. Is that project uh, done, or is Temple of Rock coming back at some point? No, no, no. No, no. Doogie is my, one of my favorites, you know, okay. and uh, we have a great chemistry. So, you know, my wish has always been to make Temple of Rock stand on its own feet, you know? Did create a and, and there's already a few classics there that um, by the third time we make a third album by the time we make a third album I think it can stand more or less on its own feet and so what I didn't know was that this Michael Schenker Fest is going to drag on so slowly because of you know we we are having bigger promoters doing bigger venues and and they want more time to to um, promote, to make sure the tour sells well. And so, you know, we're not getting the tour until uh, October. And so we're currently sitting together with a record company and figuring out how we can do this and what needs to happen next and how we use our time when, you know, nothing is happening, what can we do and so on. And having actually talked about this with quite a few, you know, in quite a few interviews now, I'm realizing now that, you know, if you think about it, Doogie's, we just released Pain, you know, which got awarded in, in Germany, and also it just got awarded in, in Japan. 
and uh, but that is only one year old, you know, it's still ringing. You know, we, we played for four years together. We did two uh, live DVDs and two studio albums. And I think, you know, we can afford to, to wait for two years until people, you know, make it, people really want to hear, you know, to hear the next step coming up. And so I'm not too concerned about it. And, uh, and I think, um, you know, probably in 2018, having something coming out on that level would be more, would be better, you know, and we don't want to have too much product out at the same time. And so... But the good thing is, it's it's all there, it's all going, it's all, and I probably end up doing more than one thing anyway, and I and I better do that because, you know, um, who knows how much longer everybody is around. So I, right. I just uh, use, <laughs> you know, do it, um, you know, what I love as much as I can. Yeah, which makes sense. Now, of course, Gary was there uh, with you on the very very first album, um, the Michael Schenkel Group album. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that time, because uh, going into that, you had been offered an audition for Aerosmith, and Joey Kramer and Tom Hamilton had said, hey, Stephen's not in a good place, we want to be your rhythm section. Um, talk to me about uh, that time, uh, having Billy Sheehan on the demos, and, and just quickly, uh, what really happened in those Aerosmith auditions? Yeah. So basically, well, after I did Strangers in the Night and I tasted the top and uh, and uh, we were found out about it and asked me to have out enough drive, which I did, and then they wanted to keep me and I didn't want to stay there because it would be more than more of the same thing I just did with UFO. I was 23 years old. I had experienced all of that stuff. The you know Rudolf and Klaus there seven years older, they, I, I, I finished with everything. Uh, and we had a first hit in, in, in 76, Lights Out. In 78, I, I basically knew what it was like up there, and I knew that I, it was not for me. You know, I wanted to experiment. I, I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to experiment, experiment with music and, and, you know, and do nothing big. You know, I'm done with big. <laughs> I did in the 70s, 40s, 80s, and then... The other bands did the big things in the 80s, and I just wanted to experiment and have fun on my guitar and 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 so on. So therefore, you know, I I didn't really want any any anything any you know person uh, be involved with anybody who, who wanted to climb up all the way where I've just come from. And uh, but well, how little did I know? You know, I got away from the Scorpions. The next thing people mentioned, just Bernstein are looking after for me and, and, and wanting to do business with me, you know. Hey, Michael, we want to put you together with Angie Lumber and, and Sammy Hager. And, and, and I went like, wow. So I, I thought I, I was going to do something, you know, just like be myself and do something. And I mean, he was just going after me, like, like not to, you know, he, he, immediately he goes like, also, I wanted to fly to New York, the, the Aerosmith, they they, they, they they need a guitarist, and we want to see how the chemistry, how he would work out with you. And so I flew over to, 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 to New York, and then, you know, Stephen Tyler wasn't actually not doing very well. I, I wasn't actually doing too well myself either. I was sitting in the, in the hotel room for four days, waiting for to, to, to do the jam. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And... Uh, so basically, I also asked myself, Michael, are you crazy? What are you doing with Aerosmith anyway? You've just finished with the with, with UFO. You declined to, copy, to carry on with the Scorpions to end up at the same place where you just came from with UFO. And and now you are 
sitting here jamming with Aerosmith. It's so crazy, you know. And so I, I you know, it, it, it didn't work out anyway. But you know, I, I, I thought to myself, why did I go here in the first place? I should not do this kind of stuff. Well, it went from one thing to another. The next thing is like Peter Mensch get Benny Kamasi and, and Billy Sheehan over. Are we doing a, a, a demo with, I think, Gary Barton as a singer because he was an easygoing guy. With him, I could do experiments and there was not too much expectation. It was just the right, the right size for me to work with. But um, we did for four, for four weeks and so on. And, you know, basically, I must admit, you know, my, my condition worsened uh, also. And so I, I decided to, you know, to, to actually quit this thing, uh, freshen up, and and start and start again, you know. And actually, uh, Neil uh, and uh, Neil Part and and Getty Lee they offered to do the first the first solo album too. And then I came, you know, I I came back with a, a, a freshened up, and uh, now um, Stephen Tyler was in the hospital. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I believe it was a, a motorcycle it, 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 accident then, or something, right? Steve, Stephen, uh, what? I believe Stephen had a very um, uh, no, the, the well, he had a motorcycle accident at some point, but that maybe that. Where he was uh, I don't know, hospital, what, but he was in the hospital. I don't know what kind. Of, I don't know what. I don't know what kind of excuses people make. They come up with anything. Basically, right. who cares? The, the the main thing was that Stephen Tyler. I, I I saw him when I came to the audition. He was not on a motorcycle accident. He was just gone. He he was not together, and 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 neither was I really that much together myself. And then it got worse. And then I was with Billy Sheen and Danny Kamasi. And so I decided to freshen up. I think Stephen Tyler was in hospital to freshen up himself, uh, as far as I know. But the main thing was Peter Mem said to me, "You know what? Stephen Tyler's in hospital, and uh, and Tommy, Tommy, Tom Hamilton, and and Joe Kramer, they want to do your solo album." Uh, so I flew to Boston and and I teamed up with, with those two guys. We started to rehearse, and then <laughs> I guess I guess somebody. Called up Stephen Tyler said, Stephen, Michael Shaker is giving you rhythm section. You better get well quick. <laughs> and so Stephen Tyler, he got, he, he, I guess he got well quick and uh, got his rhythm section back. So Aerosmith reformed, and I, Peter, Peter Mensch found uh, um, Simon Phillips and uh, and Mo Foster, who was just currently working with Jeff Beck, and that was the first recording we did with Roger Plata producing. And, uh, yeah, and that was the beginning of, of my first uh, solo thing. And then, you know, he never stopped Peter. I mean, from one thing to another, then we got Ron Madison. He, he asked, he wanted me to have Matt Langer as a producer. And I said, no, I don't want to sound like ACDC. So we got Ron Madison. And uh, with with uh, with Ron Madison, you know, doing the album, and then and and, and then uh, Peter Mann says, like, uh, I, I just booked some gigs in Japan. I wanted to go to Japan, and we haven't even mixed the the second MSG album, the Michael Schenker group that was called MSG, and so we're already in Japan performing the new songs, and the people in the Buddha car are already singing those songs. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's like, how how the, how on earth do they know about these songs? And then uh, basically MSG and and Buddha Khan came out at uh, more or less the same time, but Buddha Khan. Uh, I think Cody Powell was not very happy with the way Ron Neverson mixed uh, the the MSG album. So um, we, I found myself with uh, with his engineer, and so I mixed it with him. It still turned out pretty good. 
and then you know and then and then it was like uh, then Peter Evans wanted to next level then he wanted David Coverdale in the band you know and and I said uh, uh, why doesn't Coverdale uh, um, but but it was something like that the Coverdale wanted me and the rhythm section join him you know like like uh, Chris Glenn and Cozy Paul and me joined Coverdale. I said, no, why doesn't, why doesn't Coverdale join NFC? And so it never, that never worked out. I actually jumped with, a, I was sleeping, I was staying at Peter Manchester for two or three, two years, I think. And uh, and David Coverdale was kind of a regular coming in and out. And we used to jump together. The song called Dancer that Graham Bonnet later um, did, uh, I actually had the music to it and, and jumped it with, with David Coverdale. And he was singing something to it. And, and so... But then I think Coverdale was asking um, Cozy Powell to join him, and, and Cozy did. And so we got Technicana in, and then we did Martin Birch, the Iron Maiden producer, and we did uh, and Dwayne Bonnet, and uh, um, and did our assault attack album. And actually, while we were rehearsing, I get a phone call from Ozzy Osbourne joining him. You know, which again, it's like, why why would I join Ozzy Osbourne? This would be the same as you know. I just left the UFO thing, and I, you know, it, it it just kind of it kept going like that. The next it was it was uh, uh, Ian Hunter, it was uh, Phil Lynott and Motorhead guys, and you know, Deep Purple later on asked me to join them. It never stopped, and so it took me until '91, you know, when I finally escaped from everybody. I went to, <laughs> escaped to Arizona, and <laughs> I stayed there. You know, for 15 years to to do my my own little thing, um, you know, and after and, and basically I was uh, also had a conversation with limo driver, and you know, I told him, well, I, I know I don't get paid for a live concert. That was a '91. He said, "What? I you know you're getting ripped off big time." I said, well, "I don't know. I've got an apartment and I have got a roof over the head. I have clothes and I've got food. I'm happy. I've got my guitar and stuff." But you know, I started thinking about that kind of stuff and I went like, if everybody's chasing me to rip me off, I mean, there was a guy, I don't want to mention his name, he, he ran away with 80,000 pounds, never seen him since, you know, and it was just stuff like that all the time, but uh, but money was never really an issue for me because even when I was 15 years old, I was so into the music, I didn't even think it happened about money, I was just thinking about building it, you know, I went to hospital to got mattresses to make a, a room um, a soundproof, you know, so we could have a place to rehearse or get some some wood from my dad and, and, and build a recording studio and stuff like that. I was so into it. You know, I even designed the Scorpion logo for the furniture truck, our big furniture truck that we had when, we, when my father invested 20 speaker cabinets for, for a PA um, you know, and, and stuff like that. And so I was more like in that world, you know, I, I had no fear about, you know, never having enough money. Uh, Rudolf made the deep one. He, he learned to be an electrician, but uh, I, I always knew that music is my life. There's no doubt about it, no matter how it's going to go. But, um, you know, I, I focus on, on, on the art of lead guitar playing with pure self-expression. I mean, that is what, what I do. It's an artist. You know, artists can sleep under the bridge and still be happy because you have your art, you know. And so, basically, I decided, you know what, I had enough of these people uh, chasing me around and ripping me off, and, and, and then I have to 
have these stupid conversations on top of it. So I better just, you know, so it's, I decided to make a recording. And there you have it, folks, my interview with guitarist Michael Schenker. There is actually about another five minutes of interview to go, but the phone connection got so uh, terribly bad that I'm going to stop it there. However, I am going to tack it on to the end of the episode if you want to uh, check it out. It is uh, exceptionally difficult to get through, but consider it an outtake. Uh, I do apologize for that, but of course I I can't control the internet and the internet connection and all that wonderful stuff. But, uh, you know, in the second part we talk a little more, or in the outtake part, we talk a little bit more about the, the rush time and we talk about Elliot Rubinson and all that stuff. Uh, it's just a damn, damn pity that the uh, that the audio started squelching and started just cutting out on us. But, uh, you know, listen, uh, on that I bid you a, a fond farewell. And if you are um, in the mood to listen to what a horrible phone connection sounds like, stick around and listen to the outtake. I will leave it there at the end of the episode for you to uh, quote-unquote enjoy, though uh, you probably won't. Uh, but there you go. Uh, another great episode. Michael was a great guest. Uh, thank you, Michael. And, of course, the album or the DVD and album is called Michael Schenker Fest Live in Tokyo. Do check that out. And while you're checking stuff out, please check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon. And uh, with that, uh, here is the outtakes. Um, boy, uh, grit your teeth and uh, say a prayer because it's, it's yeah. I know. Uh, don't don't bother writing an email saying, hey, the audio was terrible. I know, and that's why I cut it out and uh, stuck it at the end for the diehards to uh, to listen to. Uh, cheers. Bye for now. Yeah. Okay. But you have to finish in a couple of minutes anyway. Oh, okay. So, so uh, um, well, let me just, uh, let, let me finish with this, and hopefully the audio won't, uh, won't squelch. But um, recently, Elliot uh, Rubinson, Rubinson passed away. He, of course, was uh, you know played a great part in your career and 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 with you on stage and the whole. Um, any words about Elliot? It's a very sad thing, you know. I mean, it's a an incredible. He was just a great friend. He was a great companion, and he was a great bass player. He was a great guy. He was a fair guy. I mean, yeah, he was everything. You know, good. I have nothing but but good things to say about him. I'm so sad, you know, and um, these things are happening and they're not going to stop. It's going to, you know, people, uh, you know, um, a guy like flies left and right and it's going to go faster and faster. It seems to get the people between 60 and 70 years old, you know, I'm in that in that level. And so it can happen to anybody anytime. But, you know, what can you do? You just can only accept it uh, because this is what's happening. And the moment you are born, you're subject to die. And... Uh, it's just sad. It's just very, very sad when these things happen, um, but there's nothing anybody can do, you know, and uh, we have to accept it. Otherwise, you drive yourself crazy with that, you know. Um, it's just something that happens, and I'm really, really, you know, sad about it because uh, he was so young, and, 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 uh, and why him? You know? Yeah, no, it really, it really is sad, and I, and I do know we have to... Uh... We have to go. So I'll, I'll end with this, something that's maybe a little more positive in the sense that uh, Strangers in the Night, the UFO album, it is considered by many to be the best uh, live album. Uh, any kind of memory for you or, or looking back on it now, do you, do you see the importance of it in, in sort of the rock history or was it just sort of another album for you and, you know, whatever? 
I see it. I see it important as my development. And so, like I said before, I focus on pure self-expression and the art of lead guitar. And uh, my whole development from Lonesome Crow, and especially when I moved to England from Phenomenon to Fawcett to No Heavy Pattern, Lights Out, um, Obsession, and Strangers in the Night, that was my period. That's what I created in the 70s or the 80s. And in the 80s, other people used my style. Rudolf called me up in the early 80s and said, hey, Michael, you wouldn't believe it. They're all playing your guitar style over here in the States. And I couldn't believe it because I didn't understand what I created. But I knew that that was the part all the way up to actually including a love drive. Um, that was my part, uh, my first part of my life, as I call it. And, and then I tasted um, the, uh, um, the success up there, uh, and uh, I got a taste of it, and I knew that wasn't for me, and I wanted to do something, you know, from... I, my, that part was done. I did my assignment, and my second assignment was to learn about life and experiment, and my third assignment is now to celebrate and to enjoy and bring lead guitar playing to the next level. Yeah, and you really have over the years, especially if you look back at albums like uh, Save Yourself and Assault Attack, uh, just just great stuff. And, uh, Michael, always always a pleasure to, to chat. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Have a good day now. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.